Okay, brothers and sisters, it's good to be with you again. Uh, thank the Lord. We're in the spirit on the Lord's day. That's the only place to be in spirit on the Lord's day. So, uh, let me just say real briefly, saints, um, our time with these three sessions has been on God's economy in faith. And we're focusing on these words in faith which we've never really uh, done this before in a concentrated way. First Timothy 1, 3 through 4, of course, Paul tells Timothy to charge certain ones not to teach anything differently other than God's economy, which is in faith, which is in faith. And so God's economy is in the sphere of faith. It's in the atmosphere of faith. So for God's economy to be real to us. Of course, Christ is the centrality of God's economy. He's the universality of God's economy. He's everything in God's economy. For him to become real to us, uh, you know, as essentially the reality of God's economy, we need to be in faith. And so this prepositional phrase is very important. Now, we saw in the first session that um, if if we're going to allow our faith to grow, and, and we pointed out from Second Second Thessalonians chapter one, that Paul told the Thessalonians, he said, "Your faith grows exceedingly," and uh, that word is for all of us. We want our faith to grow exceedingly day by day. Okay, so in the first session, we saw that we all need to have a daily exercise, even a moment-by-moment exercise, of looking away unto Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. And, uh, of course, by doing that, we can run the race, the Christian race. Actually, the Christian race is, is our Christian life. We can run the Christian race, which is set before us, And we run that race to receive Christ as our prize. You know, uh, since I pointed this out, uh, but I'd like to say it again in in Philippians 3.14, Paul says, I pursue toward the goal for the prize. Our goal is the fullest enjoyment of Christ. Our goal is the fullest gaining of Christ. Even in this meeting, this is our goal. In this meeting, we all, uh, I hope inwardly right now your heart is turned to the Lord, spirit is exercised, and even in your being right now, you can tell the Lord inwardly, Lord, I want to have the fullest enjoyment of Christ in this meeting. I want to have the fullest gaining of Christ. And this goal, our pursuing toward this goal is for the prize. And the prize is the uttermost enjoyment of Christ in the millennial kingdom. And of course, you know, that's what we want. That That's why we're here. Uh, you, you know, saints, I, I was also touched with this regarding Christ being our prize. Uh, you'll remember that um, in, in Philippians 3, if we go back uh, to verses 8 and 9, Paul said that he counted everything as loss 
on account of the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, on account of whom I've suffered the loss of all things. It says that I might gain Christ. You can also translate it this way, which Brother Lee did that in um, How to Be a Co-worker and Elder. He originally spoke this in Chinese. He said that you can also translate that word gain as win. I count everything to loss as a loss that I might win Christ. Christ is our prize even in this age, in this meeting. Christ is our prize. We want to win Christ in this meeting. And all day long, we want him to be our prize until ultimately he is our prize of a thousand years. For a thousand years, we want to enjoy Christ as our wedding feast for a thousand years. And we want to live and reign in life with him for a thousand years. Now, again, to do this, we need to exercise our spirit of faith always to look away unto Jesus and, and again, uh, saints, I just, we pointed this out in the first message. To me, it's a great miracle that the Lord Jesus is the author of our faith. We don't, there is, there is nothing in our natural man, uh, that ha- we don't have any believing ability in ourselves. We have to look away unto Jesus. When we do that, he infuses himself into us. As the life-giving spirit, he infuses himself into us. He transfuses us, transfuses us with himself. And he becomes the believing element in us to believe for us. That is just uh, an amazing thing. So he is the author of our faith. He is the originator of our faith. He is the the perfecter of our, uh, I'm sorry, the, the author the originator of our faith. He is also the perfecter of our faith. And he perfects our faith by our continuing to look away from all the distracting things on this earth, even all the distracting things in our being. Um, Even yesterday, we want to look away from yesterday because our God is a God of today. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Is in the book of Hebrews. Today is a big, big word. So we want to look away unto Jesus so that he can be the perfecter of our faith and so that he can be not only our prize presently, but our prize in the next age. Now, in the the last session, we talked about the linking faith, which is the faith of the overcomers. And, And saints, again, I would like to emphasize this. That 2 Corinthians 4.13 points out that our mingled spirit is a spirit of faith, a spirit of faith. I would encourage you to read the the notes on that verse. You know, Paul, he's quoting from the Psalms, and he says, uh, you know, God has given us all, believers, the same spirit of faith. And it's by the exercise of our spirit which is a spirit of faith that we believe we, we, again, we don't have any believing ability in ourselves, but thank the Lord. He has transfused himself into us, into our spirit, right? 
And so he's in our spirit as our faith, as our living faith. And so we have to exercise our spirit of faith to believe, and we have to exercise our spirit of faith to speak. We exercise our spirit of faith to believe in the divine facts that are recorded in his holy word. And we have to exercise our spirit of faith to speak those divine facts. Regardless of how we feel, we exercise our spirit of faith to believe in the divine facts. We exercise our spirit of faith to speak those divine facts. And when we have that kind of exercise, then our feelings follow that. Our experience follows our exercise of our spirit of faith to believe in the divine facts recorded in God's holy word. Then our feelings are the third element. But, uh, you know, initially, don't stand with your feelings. Stand with the facts in God's holy word. So exercise your spirit of faith to believe in those facts and to speak those facts. Saints, I like to say this, regardless of our condition, the facts are the facts. The truth is the truth, regardless of our condition. And many times we have to look away from our condition to speak the divine facts. You remember in the book of Acts, you remember Paul, uh, he was testifying before King Agrippa. And uh, he gave his testimony. You know, Paul's testimony is recorded three times in the book of Acts. It shows how important his conversion experience was. And if you haven't done this, I encourage you, even if you have done this, there are three life study messages in the life study of Acts called the conversion of Saul. Just absolutely marvelous, uh, which shows you the significance of his conversion, which is, uh, you know, is embodied in three words, me, Jesus, and vessel. Why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. Why are you persecuting me? And then in Acts 9.15, the Lord told Ananias, this man is a chosen vessel to me. So Paul uses the word vessel a lot in his epistles. He saw that, you know, he saw that Jesus is Lord. It's a great thing. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. So the Lord is Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. Anyway, this implies a lot. I love his conversion experience. So he saw, actually, if you look at his conversion experience, I'll just say this, maybe to whet your appetite for those life studies. Everything in those three words, me, Jesus, and vessel, everything embodied in those three words, it's like a zip file, a zip file. I think we still have those. I'm not high tech, but you know, with a zip file, you unzip it and all these files come out. Well, from his conversion experience with those three words, all the files burst out and became his 14 epistles uh, to the churches. And we're, we're still enjoying those 14 epistles today. Okay. Um, now, Paul is testifying before King Agrippa. He gives his testimony, 
And um, he says something to King Agrippa at the end of his testifying. He said, King Agrippa, um, what everything that I that I've been doing, it's not been done in a corner. He said, he said, I know you believe the prophets. King Agrippa, I know you believe the prophets. And um, King Agrippa said to Paul, he said, Paul, are you trying by just this little discourse to get me to become a Christian? And Paul said, King Agrippa, I, not, not only you, but everyone who hears me right now, I would like you all to be the same as I am, a believing being who has Christ living in him. I would like all of you to be the same as I am, except these bonds, these bonds, these, these chains. And, uh, I know King Agrippa, he never, I know, look, I don't have any evidence. How could you forget that? Right afterwards, he told, you know, his wife and, and, and the other Roman ruler, he said, this man is not guilty. He's not guilty. Can you imagine he told King Agrippa? He said, King Agrippa, do you believe? And he said this, I know that you believe. I know that you believe. He spoke faith uh, into King Agrippa. This is the way we should be. So our spirit is a spirit of faith. Saints, doubts are in our mind. Faith is in our spirit. Always exercise your spirit of faith. And, and, and of course, your, our mind falls to be enlightened by our exercise of our spirit of faith. And we saw that faith is like a sixth sense. It's a sixth sense. We have five senses. Seeing, hearing, tasting, touching, and smelling. We saw that when we exercise our sixth sense of faith, that is really the exercise of our spirit of faith. And we, we put down the scriptures, and you can find more scriptures. When we exercise our spirit of faith to contact God, who is spirit, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit. What kind of spirit is that? In spirit. That is our spirit of faith. So when we exercise our spirit of faith, that embodies all the five senses. The five uh, five senses in the physical realm, um, but they are also in the divine and mystical realm. Because when we exercise our spirit of faith, number one, we can see God. Number two, we can hear God. Number three, we can taste God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. We can touch God by exercising our spirit of faith. And we saw that we can even smell God by exercising our spirit of faith. And then in 2 Corinthians 2.15, Paul pointed out that he and his co-workers were so saturated and permeated with Christ that he made the statement, we are a fragrance of Christ to God. And we also pointed out that in Song of Songs 714, the loving seeker of the Lord, she has a nose like the Tower of Lebanon. And again, this is typology, but we all need a spiritual nose like that. That means we can smell, uh, we can sense by our intuition. We have a, 
olfactory sense of divine and mystical smell. And we can smell the things that are of God and the things that are not of God. We can we people give off an aroma of Christ. We can quote, smell that in the divine and mystical realm. So we need to we need to exercise our spirit of faith, which involves our intuition, which is part of our spirit, to um, you know even smell the things that are of God and the things that are not of God. Okay, now let's come to this last message. The title says this, Walking in the Steps of That Faith of Our Father Abraham. Now, this title is very important, saints. It comes from Romans 4.12. And um, we just picked up this one phrase from Romans 4.12, which says, that we need to walk in the steps of that faith of our father, Abraham. Now, saints, um, you know, the first thing we want to point out is this. When we, when we read that title, we need to walk in the steps of that faith of our father, Abraham. How can we say that Abraham is our father? Abraham is our father. We know that Abraham had earthly descendants. So his earthly descendants are, you know, he's their forefather. What about us? Well, we are his heavenly descendants. Now, let me read Roman number one. Look at this. Christ as the triune God, man, is the seed, descendant or son. That's a very important definition. When the Bible says he's the seed of Abraham, Christ is the seed of Abraham. That means he's the descendant of Abraham. He's the son of Abraham. So Christ as the triune God man is the seed, descendant, or son of Abraham. Because the believers are in Christ. Aren't you happy you are in Christ? You know, I love 1 Corinthians 1.30 because it says, Of him you are in Christ Jesus. Saints, I, I like this first part. I'll just stop here. Look, listen to this. Of him you are in. Saints, we are in. Hallelujah. We are in Christ Jesus. And so uh, we are in Christ. Second Corinthians 5.17 says this. Because we're in Christ, we're a new creation. That means we have the Lord as our life. That means we're partakers of his divine nature. So we are in Christ because we believed in the Christ. Not only that, Christ is in us as the hope of glory. So isn't it marvelous, saints? The fact is, you are in Christ. The fact is, Christ is in you. Same for me. I speak the same thing to me. That means the believers, I'll go on, they are one with Christ and are of Christ as a part of Christ. Thus, we who have believed into Christ are also Abraham's seed. That means we are Abraham's descendant or sons because we believed in the Christ. He is the seed of Abraham. He's the son of Abraham. He's the descendant of Abraham. Now he is in us and we are in him. We are a part of him. So that makes us Abraham's seed. That makes us, saints, it's remarkable. That makes us, if you read Galatians uh, 3, 
That makes each one of us a son of Abraham. And when you put all these sons of Abraham together, we become the corporate seed of Abraham, the corporate son of Abraham, the corporate descendant of Abraham. But even personally, as believers, each one of us is a son of Abraham. And let's come to A. A says, in resurrection, Christ as the last Adam in the flesh became And what do we mean by the word became? It means was transfigured, pneumatized into the life-giving spirit, the spirit of life, to dispense himself into us for the building up of the church as the body of Christ. And let's come to B. B is very important. This says the resurrected Christ as the life-giving spirit, this is remarkable, is the transfigured seed of Abraham. Now, now let me read it the way it says it here. The resurrected Christ as the life-giving spirit is the transfigured seed of Abraham. The life-giving spirit is the transfigured descendant of Abraham. The life-giving spirit is the transfigured son of Abraham, who has been, I'll continue, continue, who has been dispensed into us to make us the sons of Abraham, the corporate seed of Abraham, those who can receive and inherit the consummated spirit as the blessing of Abraham. Now, you know, we have to be in the divine and mystical realm and just see a vision of this. Uh, Christ is the seed of Abraham as the life-giving spirit. He's the transfigured seed of Abraham. He's the transfigured son or descendant of Abraham. He has been dispensed into us as the transfigured son of Abraham to make all of us sons of Abraham, to make us all, you know, together, the corporate seed of Abraham. And saints, um, if we're going to inherit the consummated spirit as the blessing of Abraham, there, there's two sides to this. Only, only a, a son of Abraham has the right to inherit the blessing of Abraham. And we know the physical aspect of the blessing of Abraham was the good land, is the good land. The good land typifies Christ. So Christ is not only the seed of Abraham, the son of Abraham, the descendant of Abraham. In resurrection, he became the transfigured seed, son, descendant of Abraham, dispensed into us to make us the sons of Abraham or the corporate son of Abraham, the corporate seed of Abraham, that qualifies us to inherit Christ as the blessing of Abraham. And the blessing of Abraham is also the all-inclusive life-giving spirit. So if you look at the life study of Genesis, I believe, you know, there is a life study that talks about Christ being both the seed and the land. He is the seed and the land. He's everything. He's the seed of Abraham, and he's the reality of the land promised to Abraham. And again, that land, according to Galatians 3.14, is the blessing of Abraham, and that that land, that that physical good land, is a typology of the all-inclusive spirit of Jesus Christ, who has been dispensed into us, not only as the reality of the good land, but also 
as the transfigured seed son descendant of Abraham. So it's just marvelous. Christ is everything. Now, uh, you know, it just reminded me when we talk about the life-giving spirit being the transfigured seed of Abraham, the transfigured son or descendant of Abraham. Remember him number 608, where it says the triune God has now become our all. How wonderful, how glorious. Well, um, when, when we look at verse four of him 608, here's what this says, verse four. It says, the spirit is the son's transfiguration. Come into us as life, the full supply. Amazing fact. Hallelujah for the fact. Amazing fact. Our spirit with the spirit now mingles and in oneness joins thereby. But what I want to point out to you in this verse four, it clearly says the spirit is the son's transfiguration come into us as life, the full supply, again, to make us the corporate seed of Abraham, or, you know, individually, the sons of Abraham. Just quite marvelous. Now, uh, let's. I hope you see this. This is a great thing. Now, let's come to Roman numeral 2. Roman numeral 2. Um, you know, the... the uh, the outline at the intro was much longer, uh, but I I abbreviated it, uh, you know, for the sake of this ministry meeting um, here in the Church of New York City. Um, I, I I think I abbreviated it. You know, Paul. You know, one time I told one of the saints at LSM. You know, I, I just oh my goodness, I just. I just confess to you, you know, I just, I I did not, you know, these times, I know you all know this. I've given some very long messages in the recent past. And I did not intend to do that after every me- long message I gave. I just said, Lord, forgive me. You know, I didn't mean to go that long. But I, I told one of the saints at LSM, I said, you know, I have not given the longest message in the history of the church. You know who gave the longest message in church history? The Apostle Paul. If you look at the book of Acts, he started in the evening, and he ministered the word all the way through the night till the morning. He ministered the word so long that in the middle of his discourse, I don't know what time it was, 3 a.m. or something, there, there was a young man, I don't know, sitting up on the third tier of that particular structure, and he fell down, boom. And everyone says, oh, my goodness, they, they were concerned. He, he, he must be dead. Can you imagine speaking a message and someone dies in the middle of your message? Well, uh, thank the Lord Paul fell on him, and he told the saints, he's not dead. He's alive. And... um you know, it's a mystery. We don't know what happened when Paul, when Paul put his hands on him. Maybe the Lord resurrected him. The Bible doesn't say exactly. But anyway, he experienced resurrection life. I can tell you, listen, I can tell you, Paul lays his hands on you. 
you're going to get transfused with resurrection life. And so he, he rose up. You know what Paul did? I'm just going to keep ministering the word. And I don't know what that young man did. I don't know if he went up to the third tier again. He probably stayed on the ground level. Uh, but, uh, thank the Lord. I said, well, Paul gave the longest message. None of us could give a message that long. And, um, that, that's a marvelous, uh, story if you go and, and look at that. All right. Now let's come to Roman numeral two. This is Abraham's faith did not originate with himself. Rather, his believing in God was a reaction to the God of glory appearing to him and to the transfusing and infusing of God's element into his being. You know, the God appeared to Abraham a number of times. You read the book of Genesis carefully. You know, when, when Stephen was, was uh, speaking in Acts 7, he says, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, you know, in Ur of the Chaldees. He was still in the land of idolatry, and the Lord in his mercy appeared to Abraham as the God of glory. Of course, that was a great attraction to Abraham. And when he appeared to Abraham, saints, we need to love his appearing. Of course, we love his second coming. That is to love his appearing. But we love his continual appearing to us. Just as we pointed out in Acts 26, 16, the Lord spoke to Paul through Ananias. He said, the Lord will make you a minister and a witness of the things in which you have seen me in the past and of the things in which you will appear to me. Um, when I'm, I'm sorry, of the things in which... You have seen me, and of the things in which I will appear to you. In other words, the Lord was telling Paul, I'm going to appear to you again and again and again, and I want you to be a minister of all the times that I appear to you. Well, thank the Lord. I believe with all my heart that the Lord is appearing to us in this meeting, and by his appearing to us, he infuses us with himself, he transfuses us with himself. You know, uh, saints, in the English language, uh, transfuse, you have the part, the, the part of the word trans, T-R-A-N-S. That means from one party to another party. Transfuse. Infuse is something uh, within you. Like, you know, I gave this example in the past. I had this infection in, in just one of my fingers. And Brother Rick Scattered, I, you know, he's a medical doctor. He looked at it, and it wouldn't go away. You know, I was on some antibiotics. He said, Brother Ed, we need, to, we need to take you to the emergency room. I said, really? He said, yeah, this infection might be serious. You know, it, it, it's not going away. So we went to the emergency room. Um, and they admitted me. Can you? They admitted me to the hospital. Where I'm in a hospital bed, I'm getting visits from all kinds of brothers. I had so many small group meetings in that hospital room, and so many brothers visited me. It was such a joy. Well, they brought a machine in, and um, 
how do I say this? Because I'm not a medical person. Um, I can't come up with a word. But you know where they put something uh, in your in your one of your veins to to uh, so that the the, the uh, whatever they want the you know the substance can can get into you internally. And um, anyway, this is what they did. They put some kind of antibiotic, and it, it was going from that bag, that clear bag, it was coming down, and it was going into my vein. And I noticed, I looked at, there was the mach- this machine there, I looked at the machine, and there was a red light, a red light on, and I looked to the right of the red light, you know what it said? Infusing. Infusing. When I saw that, I went, praise the Lord. I need to be infused with God, you know, but it was infusing, you see, because it was in, it was infusing me from within. Transfusing is from one party to another. Infusing is from within. So it said infusing. I said, oh, hallelujah. Then uh, after a certain period of time, a bell went off in the machine. It went ding. And, and I looked at it and another, the red light shifted. It shifted to this part which said, infusion complete. I said, hallelujah. You know, our time with the Lord in the morning should be like that. Infusing. It should be an infusing time. Then when you're, when you, when you come out of your room or wherever you want, a ding should go off and say, infusion complete. Now I'm just applying that to our time with the Lord. We can apply that to our whole Christian life and church life. We got regenerated by his appearing to us and by his infusing himself into us. He is still infusing himself into us. Uh, not only through regeneration, but through sanctification, renewing, transformation, confirmation. Eventually he will infuse himself into our mortal body. That will be our glorification. So right now, you know, you could say that there's, I'm using this example, there's a red light on that says infusing. When we're glorified, it'll be infusion complete. That's what we're, that's what we're in the process of. Okay. So we've got these words transfusing and infusing. Now let's come to A. A says, Abraham's living by faith is presently being repeated among us. The Christian life and the church life today are the harvest of the life and history of Abraham. And let's come to B. B says, faith is our reaction to God produced by his transfusion, infusion, and saturation. Oh, don't you love those words? transfusion, infusion, and saturation. I just love those words. And faith is our spontaneous reaction to God's transfusing, infusing, and saturating us. Now, um, let's come to see. We may have the concept that Abraham was a giant in faith, a giant in faith. But if we consider Abraham's history, you know, if you read Genesis closely, we will realize that the only giant of faith is God himself. How about that? 
Listen, we have a giant of faith in our spirit. And that giant of faith is God himself embodied in Christ and realized as the life-giving spirit who is the transfigured seed, transfigured son, the transfigured descendant of Abraham. The only giant of faith is God himself. Abraham's faith did not come from his natural ability. By God's appearing to Abraham, he was transfused with God as his believing element to be his faith, which was, listen to this utterance, I like this. This was his appreciation of God as a reaction to God's attraction. Isn't that wonderful? I still remember this dear brother who I really loved when I first came in the church I he had been the church life, he's still in the church life. He gave a testimony one time of how he received the Lord. And I, I wish he, he was here to tell us in an exact way. I, I'm, but I'm, I'm sharing it, you know, in a, in a, in a general way. But, but this is what happened to him. He was reading the New Testament. He, he was, he didn't know the Lord. And he came to that portion in Matthew where, uh, the opposers are asking him all these questions. And they asked him, uh, you know, he's reading this. Uh, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? So he reads that question, and then he stops. And he says, well, how is Jesus going to answer this one? And so he looked, and Jesus said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, and to God the things that are God's. He went, wow. Isn't that wonderful? And they asked him another question, you know, which I won't get into all the questions. Then they asked him another question. Then, okay, they asked him a question, and this, this person who was now a brother, he stopped, and he said, I wonder how he's going to get out of this question. There is no way he's going to be able to answer this question. Well, he looked out at the scriptures. Sure enough, the Lord answered the question. You know what he did? He looked up to that like this. He said, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. Just by the infusion of God into his being through the word of God, there was a spontaneous reaction in him. And that was his appreciation of God as a reaction to God's attraction. Now, you remember, they asked him a lot of questions. Then the Lord said, I have a question for you. That's the question of questions. Um, you know, concerning the Christ, whose son is he? Who do you say? Uh, whose son is he? They said, well, he's the son of David. And then the Lord Jesus said, well, yes. But why does David in spirit call him Lord? This is Psalm 10, Psalm 110, verse 1. David in spirit calls him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Why did David in spirit call him Lord? So that means he's not only the son of David, he's the Lord of David. Oh, there's so much there. Anyway, you know, it says that after he said that. They didn't dare ask him a question. After that, they said, we're not going to ask him a question anymore. That's it. 
because they realize, you know, they realize that, you know, I read that they didn't believe, some of the Pharisees did believe in the Lord, but most of them did not. Uh, but they realized with this man, uh, you better be careful asking him questions because he might ask you a question and, and you won't be able to answer it. Okay, anyway, this is how this brother got saved. Now let's come to D. D says, through his repeated appearance to Abraham, God transfused himself into him, causing him to experience a spiritual infusion with a spiritual infiltration of God's essence into his being. Brothers and sisters, listen to this this utterance. A, A spiritual infiltration of God's essence into his being. You know, you use the word, you know, in English, we use the word infiltrate. Um, you know, it can be a military term. It can be, um, you know, uh, the enemy. Here's the enemy. We want to infiltrate his, his army. We want to find out his secrets. So we're going to infiltrate. We're going to infiltrate into his territory. To find out his secrets. Listen, the Lord infused himself into us, and this was a spiritual infiltration of God's essence, not only into Abraham's being, into our being. Saints, we have to realize that when the Lord infused himself into us, we were enemy territory. We were God's enemies. And so he, you know, when, when, when I'm talking about the English word now, when you infiltrate the enemy's camp, he doesn't know you're doing it. He has no idea. Oh, these guys came in and infiltrated us. Well, we, you know, we didn't realize that not only were, was the Lord infusing himself into us, he was spiritually infiltrating our being. We were unaware of it. He, he, we got turned from enemies. He reconciled us to God. And now we are the friends of the triune God. We are no longer his enemies. He is continuing to dispense himself into us, to transfuse himself into us. And he is doing a spiritual infiltration in the parts of our being that he has not invaded before. And uh, I just think that's marvelous, saints. Okay, now, let's come to E. He says, Saints, aren't you glad that the Lord is spiritually infiltrating you? I'm happy about this. Okay, now, E says, The Lord Jesus appeared to Abraham as the great I am, the God of glory, to transfuse himself into Abraham. Now, this is implied in John 8, 58 where, you remember, he was confronting the opposers, the opposing religionists, and um, you remember, uh, they were talking to him about Abraham, and he said to them, your father Abraham exulted that he would see my day, and he saw it and rejoiced. How about that? Abraham saw the day of the Lord Jesus's, you know, being incarnated. And he rejoiced in it. 
We need to, I need to study that some more prayerfully. I don't mean doctrinally. I mean prayerfully. Okay. But then they said to him, you are not 50 years old and you have seen Abraham. He said, truly, truly. Listen, that Greek word for truly is the same Greek word for amen. 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 You know, whenever I think about that, I kind of think about he was fellowshipping with the father and the father spoke something to him and he said, amen. Amen. I say to you, the amen was vertical. And I say to you was horizontal. Amen. Amen. I say to you, before Abraham came into being, I am. Not I was, but I am. And, of course, they knew that he was referring, you know, of course, they were just appalled when he said that because they knew in Exodus 3 that Moses asked, you know, here's this burning fire in this bush, this thorn bush. And Moses says this, he knows that this burning fire is, is God. And he says, who shall I say? When I go to Pharaoh, who shall I tell Pharaoh uh, sent me to him? And so God said this, tell Pharaoh, I am has sent me to you. I am has sent me to you. So who was that burning fire in that thorn bush that was Christ himself now wonderful he was that fire in that burning thorn bush that Moses saw so uh again this is the Lord Jesus appeared to Abraham as the great I am the God of glory to transfuse himself into Abraham you could see this by joining John eight fifty eight with Exodus 3 14 and 15 now, F says, and saying, don't, we shouldn't just leave this on the paper. When you get home, you need to pray this. We need to come again and again to the Lord and beseech him. Appear to me again and again. Speak to me again and again. We need to have a continuous seeing, an eternal seeing of what the goal of God is. And we pointed out in John 14, 21, uh, the Lord said, he who has my commandments and keeps them, he is the one. Now, you know, his commandments, if you look closely in the recovery version of John, it points out in the note that the Lord's commandments here are his instant speakings to us. When he speaks something to us, a rhema word to us, a word with our name on it, uh, you know, his instant speakings to us are his commandments. When we have those commandments, and when we keep them, we say amen. When the Lord speaks something in we, and we just say amen, Lord. Um, it says, he is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. So, saints, the Lord is in us all the time. But the question is, do we have the Lord's manifestation? To have the Lord's manifestation is to have his appearing. Now, listen to this. When the Lord talks about his coming again, his second coming, that Greek word for coming is parousia. Parousia means presence. The Lord's coming will be his presence with us. So we need to enjoy his presence today. 
not just at his second coming. Again, parousia means presence. So when we have his presence, we have his manifestation to us. And that's what we want to experience this continually. Now, Jesus, God's appearing to us and transfusing himself into us, issue in our living by faith for his perfect will to build up the church as the body of Christ, consummating in the new Jerusalem. Now we come to H. H says, by faith, Abraham, being called, obeyed to go out unto a place which he was to receive as an inheritance. Listen to this. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Have you ever gone out the door, you know, in New York City, and, and someone said, where are you going? He said, I don't know where I'm going. Uh, <laughs> this is what Abraham was doing. He went out not knowing where he was going. What does that mean? It says, this afforded Abraham constant opportunity to exercise his faith in the New Testament. That's our spirit of faith. To trust in God for his instant leading. I like this. Taking God's presence as the map for his traveling. Saints, God's presence is our traveling map. That is wonderful. That is experiential. That is our subjective experience. God's presence is our traveling map. I've got these verses from Exodus 33 on here because Moses was telling the Lord, Lord, I don't want to go anywhere with these people unless you go with us. I I don't want to go somewhere if you're not with us. And then the Lord promised Abraham in Exodus 33, 14, he said, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. Saints, no matter what our portion or function is is in the body, you know, whether we're serving the young people, the community, uh, you know, we're visiting someone to shepherd them. You know, before we go, we should pray, Lord, I pray your presence would go with me and you would give me rest. We want his actual presence with us, his living up to date presence, which is hit the reality of his person. And so the Lord promised, my presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. And then Moses said, if your presence doesn't go with us, do not bring us up from here, up from here, for how then shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Listen to this. Is it not by your going with us, so that we, I, and your people are distinct from all the other people who are on the face of the earth. Saints, what makes us distinct from all the other people on the face of the earth is we have God's presence. God's presence means everything to us. When we have God's presence, we have everything. When we lose God's presence, we lose everything. Now, a practical definition of God's presence is given to us in the book entitled The All-Inclusive Christ. And Brother gives a wonderful subjective definition of God's presence in that book. He says God's presence is his smile. Do you have the Lord's smile? When you have the Lord's smile, you have his presence. And so 
That's what makes us distinct from all the people on this earth. We want his presence to go with us. We want his presence to be our traveling map. You know, saints, I still remember uh, now in our cars, we have GPS systems. I'm sorry, is that right? Or global position. Is that right? GPS, yeah. Global positioning satellite, right? Uh, But I remember a time when we didn't have that. And the the one entity that had it was Hertz Rent-A-Car. Hertz Rent-A-Car had GPS. So I rented a car from Hertz, and I was amazed. I turned on the car. Here comes up this map. Global positioning satellite. There's a satellite looking down on this car. And it's going to get me to where I'm going. So I punch in, uh, you know, where I'm going. Uh, listen, I'll just tell you, driving in Pittsburgh is, I mean, Pittsburgh, you know, George Washington saw Pittsburgh in the mid-1700s. That's an old city. And so the streets in Pittsburgh, they go every way. He, they're go, you're going west, and then all of a sudden you're going east. And, you know, I grew up there. And we don't say go east, go west. Because we say go west, then pretty soon you're going to be going north. Then you go south, then east. So when we give directions there, it, it, it's really funny. Uh, you know, even let's say small directions. Well, go down three blocks. And when you see that billboard, make a right. And then go three blocks. And when you see that tree, make a left. You know, it's just, it's just because the streets are all over the place. The reason why I'm saying this is that GPS that I used in Pittsburgh, it didn't know what it was doing. It took me, oh my goodness. I can't, I, I won't get into it. I said, what is this GPS doing to me? I, I said, I'm not following it anymore. I know more than this GPS does about Pittsburgh. So I just disregarded it. But saints, hallelujah, God's presence is our GPS. He's our global positioning satellite, and he is always right. His presence is our traveling map. And uh, he will take us where he wants us to be. And we will have his presence. Now let's come to Roman numeral three. If we would walk in the steps of Abraham's faith, we must be those who live the life of the altar and the tent. Now saints, these next points, I, I got them from the truth lessons. The truth lessons uh, say in a very simple way that to live by faith as Abraham did is to live a life of the altar to live a life of the tent, and to live a life of fighting for the brother, which we'll come to. Okay, now, so we need to live the life of the altar and the tent. Now, A says, under this, God's appearing and transfusing issue in our consecration spontaneously. You know, when God appeared to Abraham, right away he built an altar. And um, no one had to tell him to consecrate himself. It was an issue of God's appearing and transfusing himself into it. Issues in consecration, causing us to build an altar, live in a tent, and live totally for God. When we meet 
God, listen to this, saints. I love this. When we meet God himself, we have the power to deny ourselves. Listen to this. The denying of the self ceases to be optional, optional when we have met God. Listen to the next sentence. No man can see God and live. And that's from Exodus 33.20. The Lord said this to Moses. Moses said, Lord, let me see your glory. And so the Lord said, well, Moses, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock. And then he said, you can't see my face. Here's what the Lord said. For no man can see me and live. So saints, when we, when we see God, we're dead. We see, we want to see God all the time, right? In the New Testament, right? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. When God appears to us, when we see him in 2 Corinthians 3.18, we are beholding and reflecting as a mirror the glory of the Lord, which that's 3.18. If you go back to uh, chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians, it says the glory of God is in the face of Jesus Christ. That word face can also be translated presence. So we are beholding and reflecting the glory of the Lord, uh, you know, as a mirror. And when we're, when we're doing that, we're in the process of being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another degree of glory, even as from the Lord's spirit. So, saints, isn't that wonderful? No man can see God and live. Let's live a life of seeing God, where the denial of ourself ceases to be optional, optional, and we have the power to deny ourselves. Now, let's come to B. B says an altar is for worshiping God by offering all that we are and have to God for his purpose. Building an altar means that our life is for God, that God is our life, and that the meaning of our life is God. You know, again, this is all from the life study of Genesis. And I would encourage you, all these points, they come mostly from the life study of Genesis and the life study of Romans, along with truth lessons. Um, it's so wonderful. I love the ministry. You know, you take this portion here, you take this portion here, and you put them together, it's like nitro and glycerin. Boom! There's an explosion of new light, right? That is that—that that is what it means to develop the ministry. It doesn't mean we come up with something new. No, it means we we take one part of the ministry, we take another part of it, we put them together. You know, one time, Brother Ron, Brother Carrie, Brother Andrew, and, and myself really wanted us to write something related to deification. And then he sent Ron and I to the Philippines just to speak on deification because this was the the early part of when he was talking about this. And there was a lot of opposition to this, especially in the Philippines. So he said, Brother Ron, Brother Ed, I want you to go to the Philippines. Amen. You know, well, before that, we had written this booklet. And uh, I was the first one. I wrote the introduction. And then I just put quotes of Brother Lee, where he talked about God became man, that man might become God in life and nature. But of course, not in the Godhead. Uh, So I took this portion, that portion, this portion, that portion. 
when I got through, um, Billy said this to all of us, the four of us. He said, I never realized that I said that many things about deification. He said, Brother Ed, you get an A++++. Now, the reason why I remember that is most of my grades from Brother Lee were C, C-, you know. But that time, I got an A++++. You know why? Because everything that I wrote was Brother Lee. It, I was just quoting Brother Lee. When you do that, you get an A++++. But my point is, brothers and sisters, is that's what it is to develop the ministry. You, you put all of these portions together, and it's very powerful. So, um, you know, here we're talking about the altar, and, uh, you know, it says that altar is for worshiping God by offering all that we are and have to God for his purpose. Building an altar means that our life is for God, that God is our life, and that the meaning of our life is God. If you look in the life study of Genesis, Abraham built three altars in three places. These three places were Shechem, Bethel, and Hebron. And they represent the good land, which typifies the all-inclusive Christ as the all-inclusive spirit. Now, the word Shechem in the Hebrew, it means shoulder. That's the place of strength, the place of strength. So Abraham journeyed to a land where he could receive God as his power and where he could know God as we do today through the healthy teaching of God's economy. So the power of the good land is the power of life that satisfies man, and it's the power of the flowing triune God to know Christ inwardly so that we can become and build up the new Jerusalem. That's Shechem. Now, the second altar he built was in Bethel. This is in Genesis 12, 8. You remember, um, he built an altar. He pitched his tent. On, and it says, it says um, he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to Jehovah and called upon the name of Jehovah. And we know Bethel means the house of God. What does Ai mean? Ai means a heap of ruins. So that means in the eyes of the called ones, only Bethel, which represents the church life, the body life, is worthwhile. Everything else is a heap of ruins. Now, the final altar was at Hebron. Now, the you know, the word Hebron means fellowship. It means fellowship. So Abraham came to Hebron, and he moved his tent and to Hebron. He built an altar to Jehovah there. And at Hebron, God was revealed to Abraham as the God in his human friendship. So God appeared to Abraham in Hebrew and in Hebron as his friend. Remember, he is in Genesis 18. God appeared to Abraham with two angels, with two angels, and a lot took place there. But if you if you look at the, if you read all of Genesis 18, you you realize that God appeared to Abraham in his human in God's human friendship. He appeared as a man so that he could gain Abraham to be his intercessor. For what reason? 
for the rescue of his backslidden believer, represented by Lot, and for the bringing forth of Christ, represented by Isaac, and for the destruction of the works of the devil and his chosen people, that signified by Sodom, which God destroyed. You know, I was considering this this morning, and I just had to pray, Lord, rescue me, bring forth Christ in me, and Lord, destroy all the works of the devil in me. It's a good prayer to pray. Okay, now let's come to C. C says, to, it says, Abraham's dwelling in a tent testified that he did not belong to the world, but lived the life of a sojourner on the earth, sojourning by faith as in a foreign land. You know, someone who's a sojourner, it means they're passing through. They're just passing through. Saints, we are all sojourners. And this earth is a, is actually a foreign land to us. Now, let's read on. Why do we say this? Well, one says the tent is the issue of the altar. The altar and the tent are interrelated and cannot be separated. All the things that pass through the altar, uh, all the things that we possess have to pass through the altar. And they are given back to us by the Lord to meet our need in the world. Two says we may use the things that we possess, but they might, but they should not govern us. We can have them and we can let them go. They can be given and they can be taken away. This is the principle of the tent life. Three says erecting a tent is an expression, a declaration that we do not belong to this world. Hallelujah, saints, we belong to another country. And Hebrews tells us that other country is a better country. Let me read on. Our real country is a better country, a heavenly one, the heavenly New Jerusalem. So our country, you know, we realize the New Jerusalem is the wife of Christ, the bride of Christ. The, the, The New Jerusalem is the mutual abode of God and man. You, you know, the Lord used so many descriptors. But, but here in Hebrews, the New Jerusalem is a better country to us. It's just amazing. And it says in Hebrews 11.10 that the, the New Jerusalem has an architect and a builder. And the triune God is the architect of the New Jerusalem. He is the builder of the New Jerusalem. Um, he is building himself into us. He is building us into him. And by doing that, he is building the new Jerusalem as his building, the mutual abode of God and man. He's also a divine and mystical architect. Um, what, what we mean by that is in Ephesians 2.10, it refers to the church as the masterpiece of God. That Greek word for masterpiece was poema. Poema is where we get the word poem from. And that Greek word means uh, any work of art, you know, that expresses the maker's wisdom and design. Well, saints, we saints in the church life, we are a divine work of art. And God is working himself into us so that through us, he can express his infinite wisdom 
and his divine design. You know, I can never forget this brother gave this testimony one time, and he said he was driving down the freeway. He saw this sign. It says, men at work. He said, you know, saints, we can put a sign on us that says, God at work. God at work. Why is God at work in us? He's working himself into our being. Now, um, okay, let's go to 4. 4 says, Abraham's tent was a miniature of the New Jerusalem. The Bible ends with a tent. The New Jerusalem is the ultimate tent, the ultimate tabernacle in the universe. Now, we'll see how we can say this. 5 says, as we are living in the tent of the church height, as the reality of the tent of meeting, we are waiting for its ultimate consummation, the ultimate tent of meeting, the new Jerusalem. So in the book of Exodus, God's dwelling is referred to as the tabernacle. And we know that the new Jerusalem is the tabernacle of God. It is also the temple of God for for the millennial kingdom. And then for eternity, we will be God's tabernacle for God to dwell in. And he will be our temple for us to dwell in. That's the mutual abode of God and man. Now, when you come to the end of Exodus, especially when you come to Leviticus, Leviticus 1.1, it says Jehovah called to Moses and spoke to him out of the tent of meeting. Saints, the church life is the tent of meeting, and God speaks to us out of the tent of meeting today, which today is the church life. Eventually, the ultimate tent of meeting will be the new Jerusalem, and that meeting will never be dismissed. We will be meeting with the triune God forever and ever and ever. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? Okay, now, let's come to D. D says, Abraham had his failures, just like all of us. We have failures, right? And there was the forsaking of the altar and the tent. However, thank the Lord, there's a however in our life. However, with him, there was a recovery, and recovery is a matter of returning to the altar and the tent with calling on the name of the Lord. One says, eventually at Hebron, Abraham's tent became a place where he had fellowship with God and where God could fellowship with him. Two says, at Hebron, God was revealed to Abraham as the God with his human friendship so that he might gain Abraham, we pointed this out, to be his intercessor for the rescue of his backslidden believer, for the bringing forth of Christ and for the destruction of the works of the devil in his chosen people. All right, now let's come to Roman numeral four. And this is the last uh, major point of what it means to live by faith. Roman numeral four says to live by faith as Abraham did is to cooperate with Christ in his heavenly ministry, not only by living a life of the altar and the tent, but also by fighting, now listen to this, for the brother, not by fighting for the brothers, uh, not by fighting for a brother, but this is the utterance of the ministry by fighting for the brother. That means every brother is the brother. Every brother and sister is unique. 
Every brother and sister is special to the Lord. Every brother and sister is a treasure to the Lord. And the Lord never gives up on any one of us. He will not give up on you. Uh, and so, and this includes the sisters. When it says fighting for the brother, that word the brother includes the sisters. Now, I'm saying this because all of us brothers are included in the bride of Christ, right? The bride of Christ is female. Well, we're, we're part of the bride of Christ. We brothers. But when it says the brothers, that includes the sisters. Uh, and then, you know, in Galatians, Paul says, you know, in the church or in the new man, there's no male and there's no female. You know, so, uh, you know, we don't have to uh, worry about, thank the Lord, we don't have to worry about gender in the new Jerusalem. Hallelujah. We are just, we are the brother and we are the bride. You know, hallelujah. Anyway, I'll leave that there. Okay, now let's come to A. Lot made the mistake of separating himself from Abraham and moving his tent as far as Sodom. Now, this is a quote. Now, the men of Sodom were very wicked and sinful toward Jehovah. B says, to leave Abraham was to leave God's goal and God's protection. We need to join ourselves to and follow the proper persons in God's economy so that we may be kept in the line of life and the flow of the Lord's move. Saints, and, and, you know, I know I'm speaking to people of all ages, you know, from the youngest to the oldest. We need to join ourselves to and follow the proper persons in God's economy. If we do this, we will be kept in the line of life and the flow of the Lord's move. When Job left Abraham, he left the line of life. He left the flow of the Lord's move. He came out from under God's protection, and he left God's goal. You know, saints, I'll just give a little testimony, maybe about related to the church in New York City. You know, Brother Benjamin Chen, he's going to be with the Lord. Whenever I was with him, I felt 100%, I was joined to the proper person in God's economy. And when I was with Brother Benjamin, I was in the line of life, and I was in the flow of the Lord's move. That's the kind of Brother Benjamin was. There's some other brothers that I can mention. But I'll just mention this one brother from the church in New York City, whom I love to the uttermost. He was such an example and a pattern to me. You know, when Brother Lee would come to New York City, a number of you know this, Brother Lee would stay with Brother Benjamin. And so after Brother Lee went to be with the Lord, um, you know, after each training meeting, uh, I would say, Benjamin, let's have lunch together so we would get a table by ourselves. And I would say, Benjamin, share with me something that Brother Lee said to you in your home. You know, then he would share some things with me. These are some secrets that he didn't share publicly with other people. Then there'd be the next feast. I say, Benjamin, let's have lunch together. Benjamin, share with me some more things. Your brother he said to you when you were in your home. One time, Benjamin and I, we traveled to, um, let's see, um, I'm trying to think. Oh, yeah, the Dominican Republic to give a conference. And Benjamin and I were, were 
I think we may have been the first coworkers, or at least in the initial coworkers, that visited the Dominican Republic. And so we went there and we ministered the word together there. And I was amazed because when I went there with Benjamin, I just felt like I was joined to the proper person in God's economy. I was going to come under Benjamin. And, um, you know, I just was going to be one with him. And this shows you what kind of person he is. After the conference was over, we were going to have some time with, with the leading brothers there. And Benjamin says to me, he goes, Brother Ed, what do you feel we should share with the leading brothers? Inwardly, I said, I didn't say do this like this outwardly. I did it like this. And when I said, I, inwardly, I was saying, Benjamin, I want to know what you feel we should share. That's all that matters to me, Benjamin. I want to know what you feel. Then I'll follow that feeling. But Benjamin, Benjamin, he was so genuinely humble with the Lord and his humility that he asked me, Ed, what do you feel we should share? He didn't say, oh, Ed, I feel this. We should do this. No. What do you, I'd like to know what you feel first, Brother Ed. I was just floored by that. I said, what kind of person is this? This is a person I want to follow. Well, I shared a little bit, but what I really wanted to do was draw out what he felt. You know, it was so, um, I don't know, it was so telling, saints. We got with these leading, leading brothers. Some of them were leaders of free groups. And Benjamin began to share. It was marvelous. Benjamin got done sharing. I just enjoyed so much Benjamin sharing. And this one leader, this free group, was everyone speaking in Spanish, and we're getting translation. This brother starts speaking, and um, he says this, you know, a lot of missionaries have come here to the Dominican Republic. He said, but this is the first time in my entire life that I ever heard someone who was Chinese speak the word of God in such a rich, marvelous way as you. He's pointing to Benjamin. Uh, that was amazing to him. Uh, he wasn't used to that. Well, of course, you know, in the church life, we're not even conscious of, you know, when he said, when he, when he said, uh, Benjamin was Chinese. I said, oh, yeah, I forgot Benjamin was Chinese, you know, because we're just brothers, you know. And um, anyway, Benjamin, he was a real pattern to me. And I know he was a family. I see Brother Timothy and I know Brother Dennis Cooley is there. They can testify that Ricky can testify this. And there's a lot of brothers, you know, older brothers in New York City like this. Okay, now let's come to... Um, Let's come to see. She says, because the land around Sodom was rich, Lot journeyed towards Sodom. Eventually, he moved into the city, lived there, and settled there. Under God's sovereignty, Sodom was conquered, and Lot was taken captive. Now, what did Abraham do? You know, if we were Abraham, we might have said, well, Lot separated from me. He wasn't so positive toward me. Well, he made his bed. Let him lie in the bed that he made. Well, Abraham didn't do that. It says Abraham didn't count the weak point of his brother. He didn't take pleasure in Lot's suffering calamity. As far as Abraham was concerned, it was a shame for him to see that his brother had been captured. So he says when Abraham received the information 
about Lot's capture. He didn't even hesitate. Since he made a strong decision to fight for Lot. Saints, that is to fight for the brother. Saints, we need to fight for one another. Don't give up on any of the brothers and sisters. Fight for the brothers and sisters. I want you to fight for me. I like to fight for you. Uh, he fought for Lot. He prayed. He lifted up his hand to Jehovah, God the Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. You know, Abraham, he knew God in a particular way because he went to shepherd. You know, shepherd, to fight for the brother is to shepherd the brother. Whenever we shepherd someone, we are fighting for them. Now, um, Abraham began to know God as God the Most High. He began to know God as the possessor of heaven and earth. The earth is the Lord's. We know that. So God is the possessor of earth, but he's also the possessor of heaven. He's not only the landlord, he's the heaven lord. He's, uh, he owns the earth, he owns the heaven. Okay, F says, Abraham decided to take his 318 men and fight against the four kings and their armies due to the fact that behind the scene, Melchizedek, meaning king, king of righteousness, king of Salem, meaning peace, was interceding for Lot, Abraham, and Abraham's fighting. That's amazing. You know, the Apostle Paul amazes me. Paul is just reading through the Old Testament. He sees God's economy everywhere. He sees Christ everywhere. He sees the church everywhere. He sees the body of Christ, the new Jerusalem. He sees faith. I mean, thank the Lord for Paul. You know, that's why the Lord conquered Paul. Well, Paul saw when he read Genesis, Melchizedek is a type of Christ in his heavenly ministry. Christ is the real king of righteousness. He's the real king of peace. And Christ is interceding for all. Christ is interceding, let me put it this way, for the brother. And he's interceding for us in our fighting for the brother. And Abraham only had 318 men. Now, these four kings and their armies, we don't have the number, but it must have been a vast number. I like in these 318 men, the special forces, like SEAL Team 6. You know, sorry if you don't know what that is. Um, we have special forces in the Army, right? They do special things. They infiltrate things. We, we, you know, even right now, we don't know what those Navy SEALs are doing for our country. They are special forces. Well, Abraham hit his, had his special forces. Those were 318 men, and he took them with him. Now, now let's come to G. Uh, G says, Melchizedek is a type of Christ as the king and high priest in his heavenly ministry, who is continually interceding for us and for those under our care to save us to the uttermost. Now, look at H, brothers. I love this. You know, in the interim, I, I had another H. This is a new age, just for the church in New York City, a new age. Now listen to this age. John 21 reveals the apostolic ministry in cooperation with Christ's heavenly ministry. We know that because the Lord, when he was recovering Peter, he said, do you love me? 
And Peter said, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, feed my lambs. Then he asked them again two more times, do you love me? He said, shepherd my sheep, feed my sheep. In other words, Peter, you know, I'm going, you know, I'm going to ascend. I'm going to have a heavenly ministry. I'm going to be the great shepherd of the sheep. I want you to be one with me. That will be your apostolic ministry. And I want you to cooperate with my heavenly ministry. As you're loving me, you will spontaneously feed my lambs, shepherd my sheep, and feed my sheep. Okay, let me go on. In his heavenly ministry, Christ is shepherding people. And we need to cooperate with him by shepherding people. We need to fight for the brother by being those who, look at this, see, ask, and give life to the saints for their overcoming supply and enjoyment. Now, where do I get those words, see, ask, and give life? I get them from 1 John 5, 16a. It says, if any one of you sees your brother sinning, he uses the word sees, sees, he shall ask, A-S-K, ask, and he shall give him life, give life. So we've got these words, see, ask, and give life. Saints, when we see, if we see a brother who's faltering, who's, you know, who's, 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 who's troubled, we shouldn't, you know, let's say, let's put this in a negative sense. And this happens. See, criticize, and spread death. See, it doesn't say that. See, criticize, and spread death. When you see, when you say, oh, Brother Ed, I'm concerned for him. And you might see something. What should you do? You should ask concerning me. And so if you look at the footnote, it calls this person the asker. The asker. Think we all need to be askers. See, ask. That means you, you, you see, oh, this brother, this sister, uh, you know, um, she's in turmoil. She's been wounded inwardly. Uh, I like to ask concerning her. I like to say, oh, Lord Jesus. Let me use myself as a example. Say, oh, Lord Jesus, Brother Ed. You don't even know how to pray. You just say, Brother Ed. You you remember Paul said to Timothy. He said to Timothy that uh, he said, making mention of you. Making mention of you. And in another place, he said, making mention of your name. Listen, just say the saint's name to the Lord. That means a lot to the Lord. Oh, Lord, Brother Dennis. And then just let the Lord operate. Now, after you ask, then you go contact the brother. And then you contact the brother, and then you become a conduit of life to him. You become a channel of life to him. And... uh the form that that takes is up to the Lord. Sometimes you see, you ask, you contact a person, and you have to follow the Lord's leading, which is his presence. Sometimes the Lord might lead you not to say that much. And just when you come to that person, you bring God's presence with you. That presence of God is what gives them life. Or the Lord might lead you to say a few things. You know, in the book of Job, you remember Job's friends visited him. 
The best thing they did in the book of Job is when they didn't say one word. They just sat on the ground with him for a week. And it's when they began to open their mouth that Job was just so troubled. I'm not saying that we shouldn't, you know, share things with, with things we're concerned about. My point is we have to follow the Lord's leading. The main thing we have to learn, brothers and sisters, when we are shepherding people, is we have to learn how to listen to them. We have a book by Watchman Nee called The Character of God's Workman. The first chapter is entitled A Good Listener. A Good Listener. I encourage all of you to read that chapter prayerfully. So we see, we ask, and we give life. Now notice I have these verses from 1 Samuel on here. Why did I put these verses on here? Because this is concerning David and Goliath. And, you know, and most Christians know about this story. But this story is very significant. You remember, you remember David was so upset that Goliath was saying these things. Who is this uncircumcised Gentile to defy the armies of the living God? So they brought him to Saul. And he said to Saul, King Saul, he said, just send me out there and I'll kill him. And Saul said, you're just a young boy. This man's been a soul. He's, listen, Goliath, I calculated. You can calculate. He was at least nine feet tall. Can you imagine that? And here's this young boy. And, and you know what, you know what David said? Now I'm just paraphrasing. He said, King Saul, I want to let you know this. When a lion came or a bear came and they stole a sheep from my flock, I, I grabbed the lion by the, by his beard, you know, by his beard and I pulled the sheep out of his mouth. And with the bear, I did the same thing. The bear tried to get one of my sheep. I chased the bear down and pulled the sheep out of his mouth. Now, he said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from this uncircumcised Gentile who has defied the armies of the living God. That's how, saints, when we shepherd people, that's what we're doing. We're pulling them out of the lion's mouth, out of the, away from the bear. That's God's enemy. And so that prepares us for another battle against a giant. And so David, you remember, he went up to Goliath, and Goliath was so mad. You know, who are they sending out? They're sending out this little, this young boy to me, you know? And he said, uh, you know, he, he cursed David and everything, and, and, uh, David said to him something like this, you come at me with spear and javelin. He said, I come to you in the name of the living God. And he said, this day, this day, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to take your head off of you and give your body to the birds of the heaven to feed on. Can you imagine that? He didn't even have a sword in his hand. So what did he do? You know, he was skilled. He could, he could, do you realize what kind of person this young person is? He's, he's wrestling with lions and bears to save the sheep. And so he gets his sling out. Boom. Now he was an expert with that slingshot. You know, God had armor all over, but his, this was exposed. That stone went right into his forehead, sunk into his brain. 
and God just fell down. He was dead. David went up to him, took his sword, and took his head off. Held his head up. All the armies of the Philistines ran away as fast as they could, and the, the armies of the children of Israel chased after them. You know, anyway, that's shepherding. That's the significance of shepherding. It's a fight. To fight for the sheep. Now, let's come to the final. I think H is the final point, isn't it? Is that right? Uh, oh, no. I have a little bit more to go. Let me look here. Yeah. Okay. H. The apostolic ministry in cooperation with Christ's heavenly ministry fights for the brother by interceding for the saints according to God and his economy and by ministering the process God into the saints for their overcoming supply and enjoyment. Then one says, we must be those who shepherd others according to God. That is according to what God is in his attributes, such as love, light, holiness, and righteousness. The elders need to realize, and that, that's us too, whether we're elders or not. The elders are our pattern. That in their shepherding, they have to cover others' sins. To not take account of others' evils. Whoever uncovers the defects, shortcomings, and sins of the members of the church is disqualified from the eldership. That even applies to all of us. We shouldn't uncover one another. We, we need to shepherd one another. Three says, if the co-workers and elders, now this is a, don't think this just applies to the co-workers and elders. All of us need to be shepherds. So it says, if they don't love the bad ones, eventually they'll have nothing to do. How about that? Were you a good one or a bad one? I can tell you, I was not a good one. But thank the Lord, the Lord shepherds the bad ones. Hallelujah for that. Was Matthew a good one or a bad one? What about Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus, come down from this tree. Today, I'm going to visit you in your house. And they said, oh, he doesn't realize this man is a sinner. He fully realized it. He went to he went to Zacchaeus' house. Zacchaeus got dynamically saved. And then the Lord declared, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. That is shepherding. That is fighting for the brother. So we need to love the bad ones. So the young people, don't put labels on the young people. You might think, oh, this young person, he, he or she is a bad one. Well, that particular young, people, young person, he, they might end up in the full-time training in Anaheim. You don't know. Only the Lord knows. It says eventually they were nothing to do. The Lord Jesus said that he came as a physician, not for the healthy ones, but for the sick ones. If you say you're a healthy one, you don't need to work. But if you realize, hey, I'm a sick one, Lord, I need you to be my doctor. Even right now. Okay, four, we must follow the footsteps of the process trained God in seeking and gaining the fallen people. Then five, when we visit people, we must have the Lord's presence. And his presence is the charming factor. If we are crucified persons in resurrection, the trained God's presence goes with us wherever we go. And people will be attracted to the Lord. Six says, to shepherd people, we must cherish them, which is to make them happy and to make them feel pleasant and comfortable. Now, to make someone happy, the only thing that can make us really happy is God's presence. We need to take God's presence with us. 
Not only that, look at this. We must have a pleasant countenance when we contact people, not a cheerless countenance. If I contact someone, I want to shepherd them. And my face is like this. I'm like this. Oh, my face is downcast. And I have a frown on my face. The person that I'm shepherding is, is going to say, I don't want to be like him. I don't want to be miserable the way he is. Right? So, you know what Psalm 42 says? Verse 5 says, the psalmist says, um, he praises God for the salvation of God's countenance. Then at the end of Psalm verse 11, he says, oh God, you are the salvation of my countenance. Our countenance needs to be saved, brothers. And now you need to be happy. Don't, don't, you don't need to fake it. But if you're enjoying the Lord, your countenance is saved. How? By the salvation of his countenance. Now, seven says, in shepherding people, we must also feed them with the all-inclusive Christ in his full ministry of three stages, incarnation, inclusion, and intensification. In order to nourish people with Christ, we first have to seek Christ, gain Christ, enjoy Christ, and participate in Christ. Then finally, eight. Now, let me read the verse first, Revelation 7, 17. It says, the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and guide them to springs of waters of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now, this is for eternity. This is in eternity. Brothers and sisters, the Lord is going to shepherd us for eternity. For eternity. Now, look at eight. For eternity, the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd us, and God is the springs of waters of life. When we are one with him as the great shepherd of the sheep to shepherd others, listen to this, we are doing the work of eternity. Okay, that is what it means to walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham. And forgive me, I took much longer than I wanted to take, but there's still some time for sharing. I don't know if we could go a little bit over time, but it's the afternoon. I know you guys are, uh, you know, the afternoon. Well, what time is it there? It's quarter to six, right? You should be revived right now. Where I mean, it's quarter to three. Uh, anyway, uh, whoever is moderating, it's your turn. Hallelujah. <laughs>